Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of Lit AF with me, your host, Sarah Cohan. I am so excited, as always, to be back here with you, serving up conversations about personal and spiritual growth, helping you accept yourself exactly as you are, the way you are right now, not when you use the tools that we're going to talk about today, but literally right now. It's so exciting. I am so excited to share my guest with you today. Her name is Lily Womble, and she is a dating coach that has started a program called Brazen Breakthrough. And her company is called Date Brazen. And we talk all things dating. It's an amazing conversation. She shares about how to look at dating actually as an act of self-care, which I think sounds so radical. And the more she talks about it, the more I'm like, hell yeah, it is. So she shares about how she helps people deal with dating anxiety, self-compassion during the dating process. And then, of course, we talk about body image and a few recent experiences that she's had in terms of body positivity. So I'm really excited. Of course, as always, before we get into the interview, I just share with you what's going on this week. And before I get into that, I just want to announce that on the Lit AF Patreon, we have a really exciting benefit for those that are joining. It is a tarot spread from the a very amazing Lindsay Mack, tarot reader and teacher. This spread is so special. She made it just for the Lit AF Patreon community. And I personally have learned so much from Lindsay about the tarot. And so this is a really, really special tool to be able to share with all of you. So if you're interested in checking it out, please head on over to the Lit AF tip jar. You can see that at sarahcohan.com forward slash tip jar, which is S-A-R-A-H-C-O-H-A-N.com forward slash tip jar. And in the tip jar, you can make a one-off donation or you can join the Patreon making recurring donations every single month. And that is just one of the many benefits that you get as a member of the Patreon. So if you were considering joining, thank you so much for supporting the show. You are helping to make this show possible. And I appreciate all of you. And I'm also excited to share this week for my update is that I recently went on a solo vacation, or really it's more of a solo trip. So it was very quick, but I'm totally counting it because it was on my manifestation list. And what happened was I actually went up to go to Seattle, a little road trip to Seattle from San Francisco to visit my sister who recently purchased a house there. And I loaded up the car with my dog, Frida, and I was in the car and I was kind of like, oh my God, we're on like this solo trip. Like, this is so exciting. But, you know, we were going to visit my sister. So I kind of felt like eh, it's really only solo for a day. I don't know if that counts. And then on the way home, I actually decided to split the trip up because there was going to be more traffic. It was on the weekend. And also just to like take my time and really take in the beauty of the drive. On the way there, it was like literally pedal of metal. Let's do this. Like got there in literally 14 hours or 15 hours, which is almost unheard of. So on the way back, it just kind of felt nice to take it slow. And I actually manifested a free Airbnb stay at a place in the woods the outside of Ashland, Oregon. And it was a little bit of a drive off the five, but it was super fun to wake up in the morning surrounded by nature. I'm getting ahead of myself. So before I woke up in the morning, <laughs> we got to this place, Frida, my dog and I, and I knew it was in the woods and 
I typically don't sleep very easily when I'm camping and I find it hard to sleep alone. I've um, been sharing a room for most of my life. So I think there's maybe been like a total of two or three years that I've actually not shared a room with someone. So it's kind of the like the minority of my life. So I usually rely on just the presence of someone else to be um, comfortable and safe enough to go to sleep. And so I was really like psyching myself up for this. Like, okay, you know what? Frida's going to be here. I'm going to be safe. We're going to be in the woods. Like what could go wrong? (laughs) But it was on this gorgeous property filled with other 10 by 10 tiny homes with wood burning stoves and outdoor composting toilets, like very much like off the grid, uh, you know, in the country. And I didn't know it at the time, but the back of the property bumped up to BLM land, which is Bureau of Land Land Management land. So really, really out in the country, no cell phone service. So I really psyched myself up to get there. And I just told myself, you know what? You're going to be safe. We're going to enjoy this. And I did. I literally enjoyed every second of it. We got there late. I made a cup of tea. I read Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert, which my sister gifted me. I also manifested that. Isn't that amazing? And as I was going to sleep, you know, my sweet dog was actually a little freaked out to be out in the country. It was kind of funny because I was so worried about me, but really it was her I needed to be worried about. It was so quiet and she's a built-in guard dog. So she just started barking at like literally every single noise. which was often nothing. I mean, it was nothing. So kind of annoying. But as we were going to sleep, I like rolled over and I could see the stars outside, like through the windows of this tiny cabin. And I just thought to myself, holy shit, like what an epic moment. I I mean, in the city, I can barely ever see the stars and I can definitely not see them from my bed. So <laughs> I didn't sleep very well because my sweet dog <laughs> was so nervous all night long. The amazing part of it was that even when she did wake me up, I just got to roll over and be like taking in the beautiful sky. And then we woke up in the morning to this gorgeous property. We walked around saw the little sights. There was like a pond. There was another dog there. Like it was just kind of magical and really a nice respite in the middle of a super, super long road trip. So it was amazing. And I can't believe I manifested it for free. Like it was just, it it just happened. It just happened. It was so cool. And then on the way home, I, I went even slower from Ashland, Oregon, down to San Francisco and stopped in Shasta and looked at all the crystal stores and took in the gorgeous Mount Shasta. My goodness, that mountain is majestic. Clearly the root chakra of the earth, as I've heard from others. So I'm just super grateful for that experience and that trip. Solo trip. Highly highly recommend. It was so wonderful and fun. And I got to do everything that I wanted to do at the exact time that I wanted to do it. I could not have imagined a better travel companion. I know it's a solo trip and I'm talking about my travel companion, my dog, but it was, it was just amazing. I had such a wonderful experience and I'm going to post the picture that I took in the cabin with my dog Frida on the website for this episode. So if you visit Sarah, Cohan.com and look at episodes with Lily Womble. You will see the pictures from that amazing solo trip. 
All right. That's it for my check-in this week. I just appreciate you for tuning in. I'm so excited for this episode. And if you can do me a solid, please take a moment in the Apple Podcast app to rate and review this show. I really could use your help with a review, ideally a five-star review, but I appreciate your honesty. And that will really help to promote this show. And if you're feeling real saucy, suggest an episode to your friend that might be interested. I could really use help sharing the show because I want it to grow. All right. Thank you so much. And I'm so excited to get to this episode. Hello, Lily Womble, and welcome to Lit AF. I'm so excited to have you here. So pumped to be here, Sarah Cohan. Oh my gosh, it's going to be such a fun conversation. Oh my gosh, I want to preface this by saying that Lily and I met doing improv seven or eight years ago. Nine. Nine. Jeez. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I feel old. (laughs) Yeah, me too. It's okay. It's okay. Well, yeah, we met doing improv. Were we in a team together? We were on a team together. I can't remember the team name that we came up with, but I'm sure it was hilarious. It was terrible. It was Block Party. Block Party. Yes. Oh, my God. Block Party. We hated the name, but we were all like, you know, we have to be named something. We have to be named something. I think we did one show together. We practiced a lot for only one show. Just a lot. I struggled in each practice. It was We brutal. had a coach. We really we paid money to do, you know, we paid mm-hmm. a coach money to help us and then did not make, you know, we lost money on this team. That's, that's with any improv team, I think. Every improv team. <laughs> yeah, for sure. We were just having fun, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but it was so yeah, it was a it was quite a time, I think, in both of our lives living in San Francisco. And now Lily is a dating coach, so I'm going to read your bio so everyone knows who you are. So Lily was a top matchmaker at the largest firm in the U.S. after matching hundreds. She realized that with coaching, women could become their own expert matchmaker to find better dates for themselves than anyone else ever could. I love that. Now as the founder of Date Brazen and with her program, The Brazen Breakthrough, she's guided hundreds of women around the world to build joyful, confident, and powerful love lives through her proven process of reflective work and tactical strategy that also lead to extraordinary relationships. That's amazing. I feel like this is kind of the have a great relationship with yourself in order to create a great relationship with someone else. Absolutely. And there's a lot of like complicated stuff within that, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Tell me about it every day. And Sarah, how was it for you? So, you know, that whole bio is from the last seven years when we did, you know, we knew each other, you know, eight, nine years ago. And then, you know, I think it's so interesting how much life can happen. It's like a time capsule right here. Yes. It's truly insane. And and how did it feel to be like, what? Like Lily's a matchmaker. Lily's doing a dating coaching program. Crazy. Wild. It's wild. Yeah. When I met you in San Francisco, I I think you were might have been dating, but it was not like I don't remember. Oh, it being... I was a lost sheep. No, I was a lost sheep. And it wasn't I dated and I was working in the nonprofit world. So right. like that was my purpose in life is to my purpose in life does feel like helping women be well. 
And so I started in that feminist advocacy nonprofit space. I was working in San Francisco at a nonprofit and burning out real quick and uh, also dating very unsuccessfully and like a lot of false starts, a lot of trying, 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 getting nowhere, a lot of, and eventually just saying like, fuck it, I'm going to, you know, be single and, and love it, which was a great choice. And I think a valid choice for so many people, both and. I still had this deep desire to be chosen, to be loved, to prove my own internal story wrong, you know, quote wrong, that I was too much to find love. Oh, classic, classic. I have felt that so many times in my past. I mean, we're both very loud, very outgoing, outspoken women. Like there's a lot that society I think really – tells us to, you know, don't be those things. Or if you are those things, then you're not going to find what you're looking for. So now you're a dating coach. Date brazen. Yeah. Yeah. so cool. And I just like, I want to hear the story of how you became a dating coach. Like what was that process for you? Okay. So we covered the San Francisco part. We covered me burning out of the nonprofit life. I took a major left turn. I was like, I want to fulfill this lifelong dream that most people around me don't know is my lifelong dream to be in musical theater. So I like, and I'm going to move to New York. So I took a really big left turn. I moved to New York. My coworkers at the nonprofit were like, you want to do what? You know, it was like, I wasn't being my full self anywhere. I was just sort of siloing these passions. And so I moved to New York. I was like, I am going to sing, dance and act my way into a Broadway show. And along the way, I had a billion jobs. I was like a nanny and a preschool teacher and a, I worked at a church and I was a balloon hat maker at Senor Frogs in Times Square. And then I found this matchmaking firm. My friend was like, you always are looking for another side hustle. Like, check this out. And I thought it'll be a funny story about one time I was a matchmaker, right? Um, what I didn't know is that when I did get the job, I would discover that I loved working in matchmaking because I... I got to work with women on their dating lives, which I saw was a microcosm of every hope, joy, dream, fear, insecurity, desire that we have as humans. And so in that way, dating got to be a way that I helped women with their well-being. So it's like doing my purpose in a new way. So matchmaking became my full-time gig. I was setting up hundreds of people, having thousands, literally thousands of phone conversations with potential dates for my clients. And I became the third most successful matchmaker out of 160 at that firm. Meanwhile, you know, while I was telling other women they deserved so much more, I was super struggling in my own love life. So I was what I considered to be a late bloomer. I didn't have sex until like my mid 20s. Like I just felt like I was late to everything romantically And that that I attributed that to the too much narrative. And so I really wanted that too much narrative to be wrong. And in that process, I ended up attracting men who believed that I was too much because I was putting out the energy of, I don't want you to think that I'm too much. So let me tone it down. And then when I would end up in a relationship, try to be myself and be like, oh, whoa, 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 no, no, no. Cut to like ultimately a really bad relationship where I was not getting what I needed. I was accepting less and giving advice, telling women they needed more. And this dissonance, this cognitive dissonance that I had between the advice I was giving and what I was doing got me to a breaking point. And so I knew that I needed to break it off with this person, which ended up happening. 
I knew that I needed to heal, like that there was a reason I got into this bad relationship and I needed to explore that reason. I knew that I wasn't in touch with what I really wanted because this guy was everything I said I wanted on my checklist. So I looked around for help once I was single. My therapist hadn't dated in 30 years. She didn't know what to tell me. You know, my friends, my friends told me to swipe more. Are you sure you're not being too picky? Go on one more date, you know, push yourself, get another dating app. And unknowingly, you know, they were well-meaning, but they were perpetuating what I now know are harmful patriarchal conventional norms that tell women to exhaust themselves, play small, want less so that you can find somebody. And I knew that wasn't going to work for me. And then I looked at matchmaking and I saw that I didn't want a first date solution. I wanted a deeper solution. And so I started creating for myself the solution that I needed, which was getting beneath the surface of my preferences to what my essence, what is my essence? What's the essence of the human I want to attract? Why, what stories were holding me back? How can I heal my neural pathways and really allow myself to be myself in my dating and love life? How can I be gentle in this process? And so, and, and then also back it up tactically. How am I going to take all this information I have about myself and build a dating strategy that helps me feel alive in this area of my life and vibrant and, and authentic? That process led me to start building what would then become Date Brazen. And through that process, I started realizing, oh my God, I feel great. I feel great being single. I feel powerful. I feel confident. And my matchmaking clients, I was date coaching them on the sly and they started to find better dates for themselves than I or any other matchmaker could find for them. And for me, this work meant getting out of my old narratives. It meant building confidence in who I was, blessing and releasing the wrong people for me and ultimately meeting my love, Chris who was not somebody who I would have originally said was on my checklist. So that's how Date Brazen was born. About four years ago, I broke up with matchmaking and I started date coaching and have since gotten to help thousands of women change their own lives with this framework. Wow. Tell us more about Chris and the disconnect between what you were thought you were looking for and what he truly is. I helped people with app life and in-person dating life, right? So I was swiping. I was finding some pretty good people. I was being picky. I was in a good way. And I was learning how I wanted to feel in the right relationship. That on paper, I might have said, I want somebody who earns this amount of money or who has this type of job. Or on paper, I would have said, I want them to express themselves in this certain way that was specific in my brain which was rigid, right? My checklist was rigid. And so when I met Chris, it was very unexpected because he was a friend of a friend. I'd heard a lot about him. I knew he was like very funny and boisterous. He's an actor. I would not have necessarily said that I was open to dating an actor. I had just left acting, right? So I was like, I don't know that I want to do that. And so, but, but when I focused on how I wanted to feel as opposed to what on paper was the quote right match, I knew in Chris's presence that I felt exactly how I wanted to feel, which was belonging, which was, I felt, I knew he was resilient. That turned me on 
I felt like I felt safe with him emotionally. I felt like he was very present, you know, on our first date. He was just there, man, like with me, holding my hand. And so I knew that I felt how I wanted and needed to feel in the right relationship. And and it was tough too, because there was a shock involved with getting what I wanted. Oh, tell us about that. I think of it like an altitude issue. When you're so used to being at a certain altitude where you're begging for what you want, you're getting less and you think that you deserve less because that's what you've been getting for years. It is a shock to the system to meet somebody who just wants to be with you for you, who wants to be in your presence because they think you're cool and awesome. And it just flies in the face of all of those narratives that were telling me I was less than. So it was about getting used to the new higher altitude. And a little bit of like, do I trust somebody who wants to be a part of my team? You know, like I've spent so many years begging people to be on my team. What am I going to do with a person who's volunteering for this team? <laughs> it was like, sign me up. I'm ready. You're like, wait a second. There, there, it is tough when you get what you want. You know, I don't think a lot of people talk about that moment. My clients now are like, I feel so anxious in this searching process and I don't know what I, there's nothing to work. What is there to work on here? I was like, well, you work with your feelings. You allow yourself to feel them and you work on your thoughts that lead to your feelings so that when you do find the right relationship, that's also going to be anxiety producing. So like, you know, I know you can catch a dick, you know, or like go get some great sex somewhere from whoever you want to date. You're awesome. But this is about how do you set yourself up for receiving what you actually want in a way that aligns with who you want to be? Like, how are you going to have your own back through the whole process? Yes. And then continue because the growth just keeps happening once the relationship starts, right? Yes. Yes. (laughs) Never ending. I remember hearing a story from a girlfriend. She was like literally driving from LA to San Francisco to meet this guy that she'd been seeing. And she was just like trying to cut it off. And she was just like, why am I doing this? Why am I trying to get him to break up with me? And then she realized like, oh, I don't think I'm worthy of this relationship. And it was just like that, like being able to catch yourself in that behavior and then realize that you're just like getting used to that new altitude, like you said, is such – it's like we all do it, but being able to catch yourself before you're, you know – Doing the destructive behavior is so huge. Well, and I think here's something that I'll say. Uh, Two of my clients in this latest cohort of the Brazen Breakthrough met somebody in the four months. I always like to say the relationship is the cherry on top. It's not necessarily the goal. The goal is you feeling sovereign, you knowing that you have your own back, you knowing exactly how to advocate for yourself and set the right boundaries, right? And two people in this cohort found somebody awesome. So, which is great. And I have faith that everybody will, you know, land in the right relationship because of these skills. So both of these people actually backslid into an old pattern during the new phases of this relationship. And uh, while that might feel scary, or, you know, if I had told them beforehand, hey, you probably, you might backslide into some old behaviors because of your fear, they would have been like, no, I'm not going to do that. Or, oh, wow, that's really scary because what if I lose the person? Here's what I love to say. Like, you cannot say the wrong thing to the right person. And both of the times that they sort of went into old coping mechanisms or old behavior, they came back to the table after resting for a beat, came back to the table with that person and were like, hey, here's what just went on in my brain. And that person was like, okay, let's let's try again. I love that. I love that. Just being honest, showing up, being vulnerable, stating needs. It's huge. Yes. Huge. So huge. huge. 
And we forget that in the dating process. Yeah. I think that the stakes feel really high for most people. It's like, do I, I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want to do the wrong thing. I think that people, when they truly can believe that you can't say the wrong thing to the right person, that the right relationship is co-created, that you're not going to fuck it up, that it's like a co-created experience. You know, of course, when you're, you're being kind to yourself in the process. And of course, like, you know, I think that there are self-sabotaging behaviors that we need to work on and look at. And I don't believe you can say the wrong thing to the right person. Yeah, I completely agree. I completely agree. I remember hearing a story about Brene Brown, like breaking up with her now husband, like millions of times. And then there was like this big show of him going to Christmas at her family's house. And he showed up and she was like, what are you doing here? And Oh my God. They've been married forever and they have kids. And it's like even breaking up, like, I, I mean, you know, it's hard to do. Like, it's not probably not great, but like. You can't, you just can't fuck it up. Okay. So how did you change you? So you're changing from this dream of being in musical theater. How did you embrace kind of saying goodbye to that dream and, and accepting this new dream? Oh, good question. I think it was hard. I mean, I think it was hard to leave nonprofit life because I, I truly had this idea that my value was in giving other and serving other people, period. And so when I left nonprofit, that was a huge identity shift to I'm going to give myself what I want, which is this dream of living creatively and dancing and singing and all that jazz, pun intended. <laughs> jazz hands. I don't know if you've heard this, but have you heard this phrase that's like people in theater say, if you could imagine yourself doing anything else, then you should do that anything else. You should not do theater or musical theater specifically if you can imagine yourself doing anything else. And from my first couple of years trying musical theater, I was like, I can't imagine myself doing anything else. Now, after going to a non-equity call at 4 a.m. for Shrek the Musical and waiting in line outside in 30 degree colds, I was like, I can imagine myself doing something else. <laughs> something about this situation. <laughs> well, it was, and, 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 and you know what it was, Sarah? I, I also, you know, I don't know if you've if you or your listeners have ever experienced this, but when you're, when you're doing theater in New York, you wake up early, you go put your name on a list, you hope that they'll honor the list. And this is non-union. So I wasn't even a part of the union, which then has protections for the actors. And then, you know, I didn't have an agent who was like scheduling an audition. It was like, it's so hard. But anyway, you go in the room, the holding room, and you're with literally a hundred other desperate musical theater actors. And not, not to label them as desperate. I felt desperate and I was feeling the feelings of other people around me. I think I do consider myself an, an empath. You know, it's a skill and a, a result of trauma from my past. So I was in those, those rooms and you know what I wanted to do? I wanted to look behind when I was in the line five, you know, they, they take us from like the group of a hundred to, okay, Lily Womble, Sarah Cohan, Colleen Trinum, go line up at the door, you know? And uh, shout out to Colleen. Turner. Colleen. Um, so you go line up at the door. I wanted to turn around and talk to and make the woman or man behind me feel warm and safe and excited and cozy. I wanted to help them feel good about themselves. <laughs> I wanted to like coach them. And when I did that a couple times, I was like, oh, I like that. I want to help people be well. I still want to do that. And so that's when I realized like, oh, I can bless and release this way of getting to Broadway of waiting in the line. If it's meant to be in a decade, 
then it'll happen. But I'm really happy with the ability that I have now to perform in the way that I do, which is getting on stages and talking to people and helping them feel free within themselves. Like that's the coolest fucking dream. And I also think that later down the line, I will have, you know, a tour where I get to have a band on stage and help people be free, like by like talking to them and singing fun songs and helping them get on stage and sing fun songs to be courageous. Like that's part of the dream still, but it was, it was hard at the time to say like, Oh, I actually am not going to be in musical theater. It was a little embarrassing too, Sarah. Cause I had made this whole like declaration in San Francisco. I was like, I'm doing this. I told my parents, they helped me pay for my voice lessons every week, you know? But I think that it was that choice that allowed me to get here. So. Wow. And to be able to like blend all your past careers, maybe not the balloon hat making at Senior Frogs, but. Hey, I think that it all connects. It all can, it literally all connects. Like the through line is that you really want to help people and you were helping people, you were helping women particularly in that nonprofit job, which nonprofits have a lot to say about them burnout culture. But it's really cool to see kind of the through line here of how you're using all the different things that you've learned across all these different careers. And yeah, it's it's tough to say goodbye to a dream. It's really hard. And especially to follow something that you know lights you up and serves people in a way that's totally different than what you your, your, your original dream was. And I'll be honest, I left theater to do full-time matchmaking because of the money. Like I was like, I'm done not having $2 and 75 cents to ride the subway. hundred percent. So I began matchmaking. And then when that was soul sucking, I was like, I have to build my own thing. Yeah. And here we are, which is so cool. Here we are. And you're helping so many people. It's so cool. Hey there. I hope you're enjoying this week's episode. I know I am. If you're enjoying the Lit AF podcast, I humbly ask you to make a financial contribution to the Lit AF tip jar. Your support will help make this podcast happen. Financial contributions help to cover costs like podcast hosting site, podcast recording software, and it also helps us to pay our amazing, talented podcast editor that brings us these sweet episodes every single week. Monthly and one-off donation options are available, and we've got some sweet thank you gifts for everyone participating. If you're interested in making your financial contribution, please visit sarahcohan.com forward slash tip jar. That's S-A-R-A-H-C-O-H-A-N.com forward slash tip jar. Now back to this week's episode. Thank you so much. So. Talk to us about how dating is an act of self-care. It can be. Yeah. It's a, this is a radical idea, Lily. It is. Oh, thank you. And <laughs> I think that it's it can be whatever you make of it. It can be – dating can be punishing. Dating can be soul-sucking. Dating can be stressful as fuck. Dating can be a way that you hustle for your worthiness, like all those things, both and. It also can be an act of future self-care. And what I mean by that, and people get tripped up when I say this, they're like, no way, you know, like, why are you talking to me about dating as active self-care? It's so tough. It's so scary. It's so arduous. And what I say is like, yeah, it's vulnerable. So is going to therapy. 
So is deciding to go on a run for the first time ever. All these things are serving our future selves, both and they can be really scary in the moment because we're showing up, you know, using the definition of vulnerability by Brene Brown. It's like we're showing up when we can't control the outcome. And when you have this tender desire, like I want to meet a partner, it can feel really treacherous to date because our brain is making stories up about our current circumstance and making meaning up about past trauma all the time. And so the stories that your brain is creating about dating probably are currently not serving you if it feels like a soul suck. So I think it's, so I wanted to back up and say like why dating can feel like a soul suck is because our brains are wired to protect us. And maybe your brain in the dating world is protecting you by saying, what I want doesn't exist. What I want doesn't exist. What I want doesn't exist. So I just got to throw the spaghetti against the wall. I got to try, 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 try. So dating as an act of self-care means radically redefining your relationship to yourself first, that you are actually sovereign, that you are actually, you actually have a lot of agency here that you may not know is, is available. You know, the tenets of dating as an act of self-care, we start with self-compassion. So instead of blaming yourself for not having found somebody yet, instead of blaming yourself for not going on so many mediocre or bad dates instead of, or instead of externalizing that blame to people suck, men suck, women suck, everybody sucks. I'm terrible. This is terrible. And everybody else is terrible. And I'm terrible at this, right? Instead of doing that, let's choose self-compassion. Let's say, of course, this is hard. Of course, this is tender. Of course, I have a lot of feelings about this because this process of dating feels hard and that's normal and natural. And like, yeah, it sucks that my sister figured it out seemingly in an easy way. And I have comparison because I'm human and like self-compassion is like turning towards yourself like you would a best friend. So that's the first way that you can make this process. Like wherever you feel anxiety in your life is where you have an opportunity to change your own life and do the work. Oh my God, I love that. We would never, I say this all the time, we would never talk to anyone else the way that we talk to ourselves. Yeah. It's wild. It's just so wild. And it, it sometimes we don't even realize it. It's so... I think it's very unconscious a lot of times yes. for real. Yes. And like the whole timeline comparison thing that you're just talking about is like, my goodness, like we're beating ourselves up for being late to the party, for not enjoying the party, like all yes. of the things. Yes, 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 yes. So I think self-compassion is the first tenant of dating as an act of self-care. And I, and I also say like, there's a difference between, I don't say this, this is not my idea. I don't know whose idea it is, but I've heard that there's a difference between self-soothing and self-care. So self-soothing is like in the moment, the bubble bath, the getting the massage or the putting your hand on your heart and, or taking a beat, taking a rest. Self-care is the setting yourself up for the future you want, taking care of yourself in the moment and in your, for your future self. And it may not feel luxurious in the moment. It may feel difficult in the moment, which is why dating is an act of self-care. doesn't mean that it's always going to feel easy or fun. Just like therapy doesn't always feel easy or fun. It's like you, if you desire a partner in your future, then dating in a way that is an expression of your agency is taking care of your future self. Oh, I love that so much. It reminds me of meditating, like meditating is so fucking hard. And sometimes I will sit and meditate and it blows. But it is an act of self-care because it is future Sarah. It's like practicing turning the monkey brain off and like taking a rest, taking a rest from those thoughts that just keep like spinning out of control. But it's not fun. 
It doesn't mean that I'm having a blast every time I'm sitting down and meditating and focusing inward. And it doesn't mean that I'm having nice thoughts about myself all the time. It's not instant like self-love, you know? Right. Well, and I think that's the other piece of dating as an act of self-care is I, I love the work of coach Carl Lowenthal and the podcast Unfuck Your Brain. And then the Brooke Castillo, you know, life coach school model, which is like your thoughts are emotional interpretations of the world around you based on your past experience. Your feelings come from your thoughts, your actions come from your feelings and your thoughts. And then I create the results of fill in the blank. And it all comes from like your interpretation of a neutral circumstance. Like the sky is blue. I have a thought about that. I have so many that thoughts. Emotional interpretation. <laughs> right. So, so part of dating is active self-care. What we do is really look at your thoughts as thoughts, not facts. So your thoughts about your dating life, like I just spoke to, I just had a session with a client and, you know, some thoughts that come up for her are, Nobody is choosing me on this app. Therefore, I'm undesirable. And the real work is looking at that and saying, wow, okay, first practice self-compassion. Like that sucks. Of course, that thought makes me feel anxiety. Of course, that thought feels true because of my past experience. And I really am tender around this. My brain is trying to protect me from rejection because we fear rejection like we fear death because of how we are biologically programmed. Because when we lived in clans, if we were rejected, that meant exposure and death. Then we move into, okay, how am I going to choose a thought that is both useful and true. So what she would say to me, what she said to me, you know, is, oh, well, I did have interest in two people. They sparked my curiosity, but then they didn't turn out to be anything. So, so nobody is interesting to me on this app. I was like, okay, so there's draft one. Draft two, the intentional draft could be, and this is, uh, this is deeper work than just a simple reframe. You know what I'm saying? Like this, this is some deeper neural pathway work, but to begin you say, okay, what's useful and true? Maybe the fact that that sentence exists, that there were two people who I had curiosity for, it didn't work out, also means that there were, there were people who I had curiosity for who were also interested in me. So therefore, people who are interested in me exist. How can you really work with your own thoughts to rebuild your neural pathways? Because those old thoughts of I'm not worthy of what I want, nobody wants to be with me, they're well-worn paths, like going in the woods, like I can tell you where to go on that hike. You know, you take a left, you take a right, you take a left. And what's scarier is choosing a new thought and practicing that new thought, new belief about yourself, because it's like being in the woods without a map, without a path. And you're just in the woods, like with the machete, like trying to blaze a path forward. And sometimes you feel lost and shitty. And sometimes you feel like, what am I doing? But that's the getting used to a new altitude thing. I love that. And I feel like this goes so far beyond dating. Like the ripple effect of this has got to be like oh my god sarah everything yes literally everything i get i get to i get to see women like specifically my client caitlin who was a principal living in dc really hustling so tired so overwhelmed so burnt out i mean talk about you know principal of an elementary school in dc was just, just like burning it at both ends and she, through the Brazen Breakthrough, figured out how to get in touch with her desires and give herself permission to want what she wanted finally. And so that meant that she, after the Brazen Breakthrough, was like, I've always wanted to move to Portland. And so I'm going to quit this job and move to Portland. And I get this email that's like, Lily, I'm in Portland. I've moved. I've totally, you know, I live near my family now. I totally changed my life. I was like, oh my God, she has her own back. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And in dating, you know, 
the act of self-care thing can be also a tactical piece that we can talk about if you want. But I love when I hear I'm dating, I haven't met the person yet, and I know that it's going to happen. I know that I have my own back. I know that my boundaries are strong. I know that I'm going to, you know, that confidence is different mm. too after the work. Mm, I love that. Yeah. So let's talk tactical. Let, like, what is that? What, how does that show up? Yeah. So, okay. Four months together, Brazen Breakthrough. First, we're doing the deeper essence-based, you know, work. Then we get into blending it into a tactical strategy, which means what dating app is best for your personality? Just be on one. Don't be on all of them. Dating apps were, I don't know if you've talked about this with your listeners or you know, living in San Francisco, you see the reality of what apps are. They're companies that want to make money. That's all that it is. And an app was, the dating apps are created like slot machines to gamify the process of finding connection, which can work, right? It's a, There are two reasons to use a dating app. One, to meet somebody outside of your social circle. Two, to get to know your dating personality, which matters. Yeah. What triggers you? What sparks you? What, what lights your soul on fire? What, what is your person? How are you, how are you showing up here? Right. That then matters to how you date in person too. So looking at the dating apps as what they are, they are a tool. They are not the answer to your dating life. They are a tool, an imperfect tool. The algorithm isn't going to save you. The like paid app upgrades aren't going to save you. What's going to save you is you. You're the answer. So just use one fucking dating app. We choose the dating app that's best for your personality. You know, it's about a courageous communication strategy. When you know what preferences you want, when you know the essence of what you're looking for, then we create qualifying and disqualifying questions that you can then ask somebody instead of saying, how was your weekend again and again and again, which is a nowhere conversation. Be like, hey, what's bringing you joy lately? And then you're, you know, you're qualifying the right people and disqualifying the wrong people with ease instead of spending weeks talking to somebody and being like, oh, it turns out they didn't actually want to go on a date. <laughs> they didn't actually want to like do anything. Just wanted to chat. <laughs> Lily, I used to spend hours, hours. <laughs> I would be on the, t- first of all, I want to preface this by saying I met my husband on Tinder. He calls me his Tinderella. It can happen. There's help. Oh, I love that. I know. <laughs> But, and a lot of his friends also met on Tinder. So anyway, I used to get on the Tinders and I would be like, okay, I've matched with all these people. No one's reaching out to me. I'm going to craft really thoughtful, hilarious opening lines. And it's going to be so funny and they're going to see how funny I am. And it's going to be great. And I would say, I mean, I would spend, I would look at each photo and be like, I love your shirt. You have a dog. Oh my God. Are you eating pizza? Like, I would, <laughs> and they would just be, I would get almost like a 0% response rate. Like absolutely. Do you know what zero. that is, Sarah? Tell me. That is such unnecessary emotional labor that so many people do because they think that it will lead to finding somebody. A hundred percent. Faster or easier. Yeah. A hundred percent. So much emotional labor. Actually, I think that we are programs, like I've been programmed as a woman to do the emotional labor in situations and conversations and relationships. So it's a way that we think, oh, we're, we're going to be exceptional. We put, it's like, if I just showed you how valuable I am. Exactly. Then you'll see me. Then you would want to be with me. But that's putting the power in the hands of the app and the other person. So yeah, that sucks. And also, of course, you wanted people to see how awesome you are. You're awesome and and beautiful and hilarious. It doesn't negate those things. It's just like you didn't know that 30% of all dating app users will never go on a date from that platform. <laughs> 
where were these numbers? (laughs) (laughs) I would have only messaged 30% of them then. (laughs) Well, that's why I say like have a message that means something to you that you can use authentically and say, hey, love this picture. What's made you laugh the hardest lately? Like, and ask that of every single person because the bespoke message doesn't do anything but lead you closer to burnout. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Yeah. Oh, I moved to, this is hilarious. I moved to just this simple message of, hey, 90% response rate. I know. It was Tinder. It was Tinder. And this was many years ago. Things have changed, I think, a lot on the apps. The hey is low-hanging fruit. There's no work involved in the other person saying hey back. A hundred percent. But when you use a question like, hey, what's bringing you, I love this picture, so joyful. What's bringing you joy lately? They have to want to have a real conversation. They have to know what brings them joy. They have to be connected to themselves enough to have an answer, right? Like there's so many layers to that that I think people might be afraid of because they're like, you know, initially they're like, but will that scare people off? Not the right person. Not the right person. The right person is going to be like, oh, thank God, a substantive question. I'm so excited to meet the right person and get off this app. Right. You're separating the wheat from the chaff with that question. Like you're separating like the person that is willing to have that conversation and you're saving yourself probably weeks of chatting back and forth to be like, oh, you actually don't care about joy or whatever it is. Like you, you're not willing to have this type of conversation. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And that's okay. Oh my God. That is okay. That's okay. Bless and release them. Bless and release That's okay. Them. I love that. Let's bless and release. Uh, yes. I love it. Okay. So do you have more? I feel like you have more to say about the apps. Oh my God. What don't I have to say about the apps? I think that, okay, let's just talk about, I know that this is a Lit AF podcast. Let's talk about Bumble and like the feminist marketing, which is not grounded in feminist practice. Yeah. Let's talk about that. I just think that people, specifically feminist women who are, who I'm working with, there's this misconception that there's an app that is going to be perfect for them or an app that's like better for a certain type of person. There was this Bloomberg article a couple of years ago about how Bumble isn't feminist. It's just good at feminist marketing. And I just want people to be aware of how they are, you know, how Hinge used to or still does have that slogan, like designed to be deleted. Like there are really good teams of marketers who are crafting messages that then influence your perception of the possibility of finding love on that app so that then you get on the app and spend money with them. And to just be like, be a conscious consumer of your, of, of the app, of your time and get really like I love women who finally are giving themselves the permission to be picky once they know the essence of what they want. So I think that picky is like a word that has been weaponized against single women specifically. And so I think that it's it's good to want what you want and ask for it. That's all I've got to say. Ask for what you want. Ask for what you want and use whichever app. Be be conscious about what app you're using, but use whichever app works. Well, and and, and also be conscious of cognitive overload, right? This idea that our brain can only handle a certain amount of information before our higher functioning shuts down. You you know when you're like, when you were on an app and you were swiping and you're like, why am I frustrated right now? Why am I I exhausted? And you keep swiping through the pain or like swiping through the whatever. You're just like... Yes, because this is like, oh, I'm in the elevator at work or, oh, I'm like watching TV and I'm doing this mindlessly. Unintentional effort leads to unintentional results. And so, you know, cognitive overload is our brain, you know, it's why phone numbers are seven, seven to nine digits, because our brain can only handle seven to seven plus or minus two. 
And so when you're in conversations with more than that, when you're in, when you're, you know, swiping through hundreds of faces per day, your brain is ingesting that information and becoming overwhelmed. And so many people internalize that as like, I'm just not tough enough to keep going or I, it, this has to be miserable. If you take nothing else away from this podcast episode, like dating does not have to be miserable. Dating shouldn't be miserable. It's an expression of your agency and your, and it can be an act of self-care when you are aware of your, what your brain needs. So sites like Match, eHarmony, OkCupid, the way that they're structured on a desktop leads to more cognitive overwhelm because you're seeing all the options at once, all the messages at once, all the profiles at once. And so I think that Hinge or Bumble are the best choices just because you're seeing one at a time. And to be aware of your cognitive overload, put the thing down after 20 minutes max per day. Love that timer structure. Love that. Yeah. Commitment to yourself, boundary, but time boundary, really. Yes, time boundary. Yep. Yeah, yep. I and love and that. aware based on your, it's like mothering yourself. It's like this this kid freaks out after they have too much sugar. So like let's let's let them have one candy bar and then like say goodnight to the candy. You know what I'm saying? It's like <laughs> yeah. mothering yourself of like my brain will freak out if I allow her to have more than <laughs> 20 minutes on this app. So I'm gonna take care of her by setting this time boundary. I love that. I love that. I think that like long-term allows you to be, it's it's a marathon. It's not a sprint, you know? Well, and the app is one tool. It's like, you're going to meet your partner. You're going to meet your person, how you're going to meet your person. This app is not the answer to your dating life. So use it in a way that serves you. I love that. Oh my God. This is so good. Okay. So uh, what do you recommend to deal with dating anxiety? Oh my God. Um, Okay. First therapy is great. I love therapy. When you feel anxious, I mean, it's the stuff that I'm sure other episodes have covered. I mean, like truly slow down, take a beat, take a breath. I love a breath that's five beats in, 10 beats out to regulate my nervous system. Because when anxiety springs up, it's information. It's information about like either I'm in fight or flight right now. I feel unsafe emotionally or physically. I'm making up a story. I'm catastrophizing because I, your brain ultimately wants your body to be safe. Your brain wants to be safe. Your body wants to be safe. So the anxiety, like it's information telling you, teaching you how to be a better friend to yourself. So allow that information to affect your actions, right? Allow the anxiety to say, okay, I'm feeling anxiety. Let me, let me slow, let me put this, this down. Let me choose that I and my mental health is more important than anything else right now. And always. So taking the deep breaths, getting outside without your phone, going on a walk, then I think that it's important to recognize the thoughts that you're having in your own brain and put them on paper. Don't allow the thoughts of catastrophizing to go unchecked in your brain. Cause I think that there's shame in those thoughts, probably some shame feelings. And when sh shame breeds in silence, right? So if we allow the shameful thoughts about our worthiness, about what's possible, about anything. We have all those thoughts to be, you know, go unchecked in our brain without putting them on paper. I think it's like a Petri dish that's being like left in the lab in the dark alone without anybody coming to check in on it. <laughs> and it just grows. And so I think that getting your journal and when you feel in an emotionally safe place to do this, like take inventory of your thoughts, do a thought dump, like a thought download, and then listen to a self-compassion meditation. I love the ones by Chris, Dr. Kristen Neff on self-compassion.org. It's an amazing resource. She has an amazing set of free meditations, self-compassion meditations. I think that choosing self-compassion has changed my life. 
in my anxiety life. I also think that then doing the thought work to then choose a useful and true thought to, to sort of, you know, practice that, that we didn't know how to drive when we were 15. We had to learn how to drive. You have to learn how to choose new thoughts. So that's my answer to the, to the big question. And, and ultimately like slow down, like you're, you're, you are on your path. You don't need to know all of the steps to still be on the right path. Yeah. Oh, that is huge. That's so huge. Be gentle and be open. Yeah. So good. Um, okay. So I want to talk about body image and dating because I feel like it comes up a lot, even just from the initial I'm getting on the apps, what image should I choose? I think is where it starts. And then to getting ready for a date and like being comfortable and having so much self-compassion for body image. How have you seen this show up with clients and maybe in your own in your own life beyond? Yeah. Well, let's be honest. My issues started like I think I, I, I'll use myself as a because I think speaking from the eye is important both and I hope that this resonates with people listening. I think it will. My issues started at five. When I wore a bikini to the pool and, uh, or like a, a tank, a two piece, like Lisa Frank esque, like Dolph, colorful dolphins, you know, two piece. And I had, oh my God, I loved it, that two piece. But I was shamed at the pool by another family who was like, you shouldn't be wearing that. Like, truly, like, you know, and then, and then issues growing up. And when I would lose weight, when I was running, a, a family member saying, I wish you wouldn't stop running because you look so good now and you, you know, I think all the, I think that the mistake that I hear a lot of people making is not connecting their fear of their body to the deeper wounds that have the deeper trauma that has taken place in their lives. You know, that all of us have gone through in different ways, no matter your shape. I remember trying to push through the fear when I was dating. So I would have a fear of showing up and being looked up and down by a date and the date saying, I didn't think you looked that big in your pictures. And it was affirmed by some really, sh you know, men with shitty opinions who would talk to me, you know, in the matchmaking context, you know, I have thousands of phone conversations with men about my clients who would be like, I don't want somebody over a size six because that's like, whatever, you know, I'd like hear these conversations. I would be in that conversation with a guy who couldn't see my face or my body who would say like, these women are ugly who are this size above. And I, I'm a, you know, curvy size 12, 14. And so... I internalized those messages as proof that what I wanted wasn't possible, that I was too big to find love, that I wasn't worthy of love. And what I came to is, so I'm still working on it, by the way, Sarah, you know, this, this idea of my body is beautiful, that she is a body. She doesn't, you know, like I, I don't have to make up meaning from my body. She is a body, yeah. you know? She's a machine in a beautiful way. I mean that in a beautiful she's way. A, <laughs> that sounded weird. The natural born, you know, creation of it. You know, and, and 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 I think it's easy when we're home alone and we do our work internally and we like take care of ourselves. It's hard when you go out into the world and you're hearing messages every day about, you know, women of a certain size are not beautiful or worthy. That's just a snippet of my journey and why I deeply resonate with everybody who struggles with their image and struggles with what pictures do I choose? And does this look like me? Because I don't want people to ultimately it's the fear of rejection. And so when you can ground yourself, when I ground myself in self-compassion and say like, everybody, you know, this is normal, connect myself to the human experience that I'm not alone. 
And when I say, okay, yeah, I have thoughts about my body. I'm not my thoughts about my body, you know, like, like depersonalize my thoughts and say, you know, these are thoughts that I'm having. Yeah. These are understandable based on how I've socialized and what I've experienced. So how can I choose something that's useful and true in this moment about myself? I have a body. She is serving me. She is getting me through this moment. She is, she is so magical. She, she moves. She like, you know, when I can choose those useful and true thoughts, I slowly change my neural pathways around my body and her worthiness. That's what I work on with my clients too. And I truly believe like you do not need to lose weight to find love that people who say, you know, I just want to lose 20 pounds before dating are externalizing their worth and worthiness based on very understandable socialization. I'm not blaming you if you think that, but if you externalize your worth and your worthiness, like you're, you're still going to feel miserable in your dating life, even after those 20 pounds. Even after. Yes, exactly. Nothing will change internally. (laughs) Right. Can are you willing to share your recent story of um, buying going wedding dress shopping? Yes. How did you know about this? This story was it in a podcast? It was on an IG email. You posted a cute. Oh my god, girl! You watched my things. You've watched my things and read my things. I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful. You're amazing, Um, Lily. You know. Okay, my mom came to town. I'm getting married in May. Congratulations! Thank you. It's gonna be like a 60 person wedding. My mom comes to New York to help me shop for wedding dresses. I have my budget in mind. I have this thought in mind. I have this that, you know, I've watched 50,000 episodes of Say Yes to the Dress. I've seen the people and what happens and whatever. And I go to where I end up buying my dress, Beholden. And even up until that shopping experience, I had thoughts of, should I lose weight before I go shop for a wedding dress? Like, I, I, I still have thoughts like that am I going to look good enough in this wedding dress? Am I going to regret? Those are the thoughts that I had too. Am I going to regret shopping at this size? Because what if I lose weight and what if I would look better? Thinking about the judgment that people in my family might have if I was this size and like making up catastrophizing these things. And you know what I chose? I chose to acknowledge that fear and those thoughts. I worked on them hard in my journal and with my therapist And I chose that I wanted to believe, I desire to believe that I am worthy and beautiful right now. And that the idea that I need to be a certain size to be in a fucking wedding dress is a fallacy and a patriarchal notion that I'm going to reject wholeheartedly. So I go shopping for my wedding dress. I'm having, I've journaled, I prepared, I did all these things. And I ended up like in the mirror having these thoughts again, like, am I worthy of this? Do I look good in this? You know, and I, I ended up trying on the dress that I loved and that I ended up buying and it's like super beautiful, like shimmery on the top and this like sheath on the bodice, like gorgeous, like silky crepey, love it. And it clings to my curves beautifully Mm, and it also clings to my stomach. Yes. Love it. It's gorgeous. And I have it in my closet right now. And I sent it to my aunt and she texted me, are you sure you want to buy that? By the way, I've already bought it. Are you sure you want to buy that? It clings to your stomach. <sighs> and I was like, is nothing sacred? I'm not safe anywhere. Like, oh, like, Wrrr. you know, I have family members who basically harass me about not wanting to change my last name. You know, they're like, you won't be married when you, ch-. I think these are all connected, right? These, I, this idea of you have to be smaller. You have to not have a tummy. You have to, you know, wear triple spanks on this day if you're going to wear that dress. And 
it's fucking hard to reject those notions when they're like coming at you from a person who you love. And so it's a choice right now to like feel compassion for myself, to choose that I am the person who makes the decisions. Like I'm the adult here, my gorgeous aunt. I'm the adult and COO, CEO of my life. And I'm going to choose that I look beautiful in this and that I'm going to fucking love this day and have so much fun on this day. And that it's, it's a dress. It's a dress. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's a dress that you chose, which means it's amazing. It's going to be amazing. Yeah. I love that. If only you could wear the Lisa Frank two-piece from childhood <laughs> as an appropriate wedding party. I gown. wish I had that so <laughs> bad. I wish I had that so bad. It was such an iconic piece of clothing. And by the way, I just decided like this past weekend, not decided, I had to prepare for this. I went on this gorgeous, luxurious shopping trip with my friend and we did a private styling suite at Nordstrom. We had a stylist come and help me, which is a service that everybody can get for free, by the way, at Nordstrom, which is amazing. amazing. And I ended up like trying on all of these clothes. And you know what is so, I want to hear your thoughts on this here. My stylist is this gorgeous woman, very fun. I think she was trying to be supportive. <laughs> okay. I'm already scared. <laughs> she said, she said, you know, cause I was trying on these colorful pieces like Diane von Furstenberg. And like, I was like going for it. My body looked amazing. I looked amazing. And she was like, this is to my friend. She was like, this is why I love Lily because most 12 to 14 size women come in and just want to wear black. And I was like, interesting, interesting. So, okay. Yes, 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 yes. Okay. Yes. I'm making a different choice. And I have the, I feel the weight on my shoulders of like making this different choice and how women who are this size are socialized to dress and all of that. But also that you brought up my size and how I am different than the women in all of the other styling suites beside me. And that impacted me. And I'm still sort of like unpacking it, you know, that I, that it was brought up that I was different, you know? And then that was even like, and, and I'm glad that she was glad that we were dressing me in clothes that looked good, but it was sort of like, it was weird. Yeah. That's weird. <laughs> it's almost like she was trying to compliment you in a very backhanded way. It feels was like, aren't you so brave for being, you know, the people were like, aren't you so brave, Amy Schumer, for being naked on Vanity Fair? You know, it's like, and she was like, I showed my body and you saying that means that you think that there's something weird about me showing my body. Right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It yeah. reminds me of Lizzo so, saying like, I can't wait for the day when me being proud of my body is no longer a big fucking deal. I'm like, yeah, girl, it's not. It's not a big deal that you love your body. You're fucking beautiful the way that you are. And that's, there's nothing, I mean, it is brave, I think, to love your body. But like, that's right. Period. Stop. No matter your size. Exactly. Yeah. Full stop. Like, it's not because of her size. Oh, that stylist has some thought work to do, I think. I do. <laughs> I will go back to her, by the way. Like, I love her and I, I will recommend everyone go see her and I will recommend that everybody of every size like try on colorful clothing, by the way. I think it's still, you know, the act of showing up in your body and taking up space still is revolutionary for a lot of people, especially in the conventional fashion world. And so I get where she was coming from. It just wasn't the most helpful thing to say. And that it's even if you are like, I'm not you know, I love to say like, I'm coach, I'm still getting coached. I'm still learning, even though I get to help people with these tools, we all are doing our own work, hopefully, you know? So I just say that to say like, 
God, it is hard to do the work when, you know, there are constant messages that you're different. Right. Right. Yes. It's so hard. And I think what what you said at the beginning of like, we can do this all day at home. We can do this all day in the mirror. And then the moment we get outside, new playing field. And this is life, right? We're all dealing with complicated, hard, you know, activating life. We've all been through shit. And so the work, like when, like going back, like whenever you feel anxiety or, you know, ickiness, like that's where there's work opportunity, there's an opportunity to be held, opportunity to belong more. Yeah. Instead of just jumping over it, skipping over it and moving forward. That's the opportunity. I love that. That's so beautiful. Is there anything else about dating that you want to share with listeners? Any more improv teams that we should rehash? Oh, are we, should we, should we like talk about our experience and the shows and the, whatever? <laughs> no, yeah, I don't, I don't have much more to share. I think this, you asked such good questions. And I think that um, dating is a microcosm of every hope, joy, dream, fear, insecurity, desire that we have, you know, it's complicated. And so that's why it's so important to, to get help if you, if you, feel like you want to be supported. And because most people like it's bizarre for them to get support in their dating life because they've spent so many years feeling miserable in it. And that's the narrative, the status quo, that it just is going to be miserable. And so I always ask people like, how supported can you stand to let yourself be? Because it is very vulnerable to get support. It is vulnerable to feel belonging. It is vulnerable to be in a community of single women who have your back and who are moving forward together. And it can be life-changing. So I just ask everybody listening, like, how supported can you stand to let yourself be? Not just here, but everywhere. Oh, I love that. That is amazing. And how can guests come find you, follow along with what you're up to? Yeah. So if you have been jazzing on the dating as an act of self-care idea, then I have a free workbook on my website, dating uh, a three-step guide to make dating feel like an act of self-care. You can get that on my website at datebrazen.com. I have a weekly podcast called the Date Brazen Podcast, where I go into all things dating as an act of self-care. This past week, we had an episode on uh, with a, a trauma therapist on dating and trauma really intense and wonderful. And uh, I also am on Instagram at date brazen and I hang out there with so many amazing people, podcast, website, and Instagram. Come find me. So fun. Lily is amazing. She clearly has so much wisdom. Thank you so much for being on the show today. This was such a fun conversation. Yes. Thank you, Sarah. That's it for today's show. Thank you so, so, so much for listening. I really hope you enjoyed. If you have a moment and you're in the Apple Podcast app, please rate and review the show. I could really use all the ratings I can get. And please share this episode with a friend that may benefit from it. Of course, hit subscribe to keep up with new weekly episodes. And if you're interested in supporting the show and being part of the Lit AF community, join our Patreon by visiting sarahcohan.com forward slash tip jar. That's S-A-R-A-H-C-O-H-A-N.com forward slash tip jar. Thank you again for listening. Please stay lit, lit AF, and I hope to see you back here next week. 